Well, it's good to be here. I want to thank the church for the privilege I have to uh, be here today and to bring the message that God has laid on my heart. I'd ask you to, of course, uh, be mindful of our pastor's need, his physical needs, that you'll continue to pray for him and for you that are visiting. Uh, you need to come back when our pastor's here. Um, you're hearing a substitute today. You know what a substitute is? Somebody that is put in place to tide to tide until things can get back on schedule. But God's given us a great pastor. It's going to be a great opportunity to honor him and his family at the end of the month for their many, many years of service here. But uh, if you're visiting... I'm not used to that sound. That worried me. I thought somebody had a stick behind me. <laughs> For our text today, please stand with me as we read together 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll just read verses 3 down through verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through verse 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and it fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have of standing and proclaiming your word to these that are here today. Lord, I ask that you just give us our attention now centered upon this message, upon this word that it might get into our hearts and change lives and give uh, assurance and give some uh, encouragement today uh, from this passage that might encourage those that are here. Lord, for those who know not Christ as Savior, though the message is directed more to save people, yet, Lord, we know that uh, as an abundant mercy and grace awaited them if they just but turned to Christ and it's our desire that they do that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This passage that I've chosen for my text today begins with a, a remembrance of what we have as Christians. My, it's a great thing to be a child of God. When you look here and you see that we have an, an inheritance that's incorruptible. That's why the Bible tells us to lay up our treasures in heaven. These things that we have as a child of God that we have put in store for, for 
God's service. And that's the only way, by the way, that you'll take anything to heaven. I've been in the ministry over 50 years, and I've yet, in all the funerals that I've done, I've yet to see a funeral have a hearse with a U-Haul trailer attached to the back because you're not taking anything with you. Uh, What you have will be left behind that you don't use now to give to God. We're to lay up treasures in heaven. You must do that now. You can send things to heaven, but you can't take things to heaven. But my, what a privilege it is to see these promises how that this is undefiled and it fadeth not away and it's reserved by God in heaven. It's kept by His power. We have so much that we could preach on and, and I think of Jude as he wrote the little book of Jude how he so desired to preach of the message of salvation. I guess that's the heart of most pastors or preachers to, to preach on salvation because uh, that's the gospel that gets people into the heaven that we speak about. But this passage does not conclude with that. If you'll notice again verse 6 and verse 7, and this is from what we'll take our message today. It says here, wherein ye greatly rejoice, that's now, because we have all these things. Though now just for a season, it's not always that way. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. We've already heard this morning of the passing away of loved ones and family members. Unexpected. A burden that's, that's on the heart of, of the mothers and dads and family and loved ones. And uh, these things come. I want to speak on something this morning that might help you. You know, you may have, maybe you didn't lose a loved one today, but there's a heaviness, a trial. It could be physical. It could be material, financial, marital. Uh, it, it could be of many different subjects. But in your heart, in your own personal life, you have a, a heaviness, a burden, a trial that's just loading you down. The message today, I pray, will help you. I look around and I see people who are suffering very serious health issues. Others, I'm sure, though I do not know personally, have some other problems. Could be financial, could be a marital problem, could be a family, could be a a child. But there's heaviness here, I know. It's always there. But it says that thou... In verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth. Now, we don't think of trials and testings as something precious. But believe me, I've been saved now this year, it'll be 72 years. Not, I was born 83, 80 some years ago, but I was, I, was, I was raised in a Christian home. I was blessed to have that privilege. That's, that's not to my credit, that's to the credit of my parents. I was brought up in a gospel preaching church, and, and uh, at the age of nine, I received Christ as my personal Savior. And so it's been many years that I've been a child of God, but you know, I've seen and I've experienced in my life 
many of these trials, many of these hardships, and yet there's, there's hope, there's strength if we'll just listen to the Word of God. I, I've read in our bulletin here some years ago, maybe a year, I've been here about three years, so it's probably been a year or two, this article, and I'd like to share it with you. It says in 1932, now I'm not that old, but I was born in the 30s. But in 1932, A.M. Overton was the pastor of a church in Mississippi with a wife and three children. His wife was pregnant with their fourth child. But when it came time for the delivery, there were complications in both. She and the baby died. During the funeral service, the preacher officiating the service noticed that Pastor Overton was writing something on a piece of paper. After the service, the preacher asked him about it, and he handed him the paper with a poem that he had just written. The poem is titled, He Maketh No Mistake. Now you think this this touched my heart when I read it. I tore it out as I do often and stick it in a place in the Bible where it's appropriate for reference. I used it to lay on my heart to, to share with you today. But I want you to listen to this poem. A poem that this man of God wrote. At, his, at the service for his wife and his newly born son. Think of that. At that time he wrote this, My father's ways may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul I'm glad to know he maketh no mistakes. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But still I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark, and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my call, my all on him, for he maketh no mistake. There is so much now I cannot see. My eyesight far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust the Lord with it all. To Him, for He makes no mistakes. And I'll plan it all and lay it in His care. Though all the way Though dark to me, he made no one mistake. I've lived a lot of years. I have witnessed a lot of heartache and sorrow. But oftentimes, through the deepest times, these hardest times, I've seen God's hand move, shape, direct, and lead families this, this article ended by saying this, now encouraging to realize that 
or rather how encouraging to realize that God is full in full control of everything that comes into our lives. He is our shield and nothing can, teach, uh, can touch us without his passing through him. When things come our way, whether blessings or trials, we know they have come from the loving hand of God for our benefit and for his glory. Life is just not, just doesn't happen. God's in control. Whenever I read this today and the other day as I studied for this, I thought of a, a statement that uh, Warren Wiersbe, Warren Wiersbe was a great uh, Baptist preacher. Some of you know his history. That's not important. But what he said here, I hope get your ear. He said, when God permits his children to go through the furnace, he keeps his eyes on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. His loving heart knows how much and how long. How true that is. I read that, I think, of the three Hebrew children. They're in Daniel chapter 3. But you know, in life, I've learned several lessons. One is this, that life is difficult. It's difficult to live. Whether you're a child of God, and certainly if you have not God as your Savior, I don't know how you do it. I've been saved most of my life. And I look at people who are not saved and lose loved ones and, 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 and have no hope. I don't know how lost people do it. But thank God we have a Savior. Trials come when we don't expect them. At the, at the unexpected time. And we would rather, of course, to avoid them, but that's not a choice. That's not a choice. It's, it, is a, uh, it is a trials. I've found in my life it's the trials that God gives us that he shapes us and uses us in a better way for his service. The great Baptist preacher Spurgeon, an English pastor from 100 years or over 100 years ago, in England, he, he said this. He had a long ministry, a great ministry. And he said this. He said, I don't think that I've ever learned any real purposeful thing in my life apart from the hammer and chisel. That was just a different way of saying that it was the trials, the hardships in his life that really taught him lessons that otherwise he would have never learned. It's amazing when you think about it. When I lived in Washington, D.C. area, my family was taken there by God to start a church. I'd never lived there, knew nobody living in this town. And uh, God led us there. Uh, that, that will be soon 50 years ago now. Uh, I think there's, there's 74, so you figure it out. I think that's about 48 years or so. Anyhow, it was a long time ago, but God led us there. And while we were there, I was privileged to hear a lot of uh, great speakers. I heard uh, 
Mr. Reagan then, before he was president, come and speak to our group. I was in the group of people there to demonstrate the right to life. And that's a big thing, and it was for many years as you knew about it. And finally, God gave him the victory, and uh, abortion laws were changed. But I remember him speaking to us when he was running for office, of course. And, it, and I'll never probably forget that time. A more precious time, oh, from the church that I started our church out of. You know, that's how a church starts, from another church. People don't start churches. Churches start churches. And we united with a local church there, Bethlehem Baptist Church, and, and we were members there. And the pastor, uh, while we were still members, hadn't started the mission yet, uh, had as a guest Dr. Henry Morse. Now, some of you wouldn't know anything about him, and I just pray that someday you'll read one of his many books his son and the ministry they have, I think it's centered out here in California, of creation ministry. But uh, Henry Morris was a tr- tremendous uh, person of God, two PhDs, scientist, scientist. He was a scientist. He, w- he wasn't really a preacher, but he preached. But uh, a great man. But there's one that sticks in my mind even more than that. And it's a man that perhaps uh, some of you have never heard of. His name was Alexander Sovinitsyn. Alexander Sovinitsyn was German, as you could tell from his name. And he was a Christian who had spent many, many years in uh, the prison camps uh, and and, uh, terrible torture. But he said something, he said, you know, through those camps laying there on the rotting straw that he had for a bed and near freezing to death is in Siberia. And uh, he said that, he said this that I'll never forget. He said, I just, in my heart, said, oh God, thank you, prison, for the way you've touched my life. It was that suffering time that stuck with that man. I'm telling you this for, not for history, but I'm telling you this to perhaps let you know that people have suffered, God people, good godly people, have suffered for generations. It's nothing new. Trials and circumstances is, is what you can expect as a child of God. Now, there's many blessings, but there's two two passages of scripture that I look to and I like to look for the Bible for my instructions and what I say today is not important but if you listen to the scriptures that we use here in 1 Peter but also turn over to uh, the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 12 2 Corinthians chapter 12 Verses 7 through 10 tells us of a story that many of us are familiar with. But let me read it to you. Beginning in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And least I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. 
lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I sought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in the infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Listen to that list he gives again. He says, for reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses. Maybe some of those describe your present problem. But here we have a man of God, the Apostle Paul. None greater other than the Lord Jesus Christ do we read about in the New Testament than the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul suffered. Let's look closely at this passage here. And notice, first of all, why he suffered. Now, this is something we don't just get out of the surface. You have to look at it closely. He said, the least that I should be exalted. In other words, Paul suffered this trial, this testing in his life, because he was tempted with the pride, the sin of pride. Pride was about to take control, and God knows that. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's coming next. You don't. He knows what's around the corner in life, but you don't. He knows what's the result of that tragedy of losing a loved one, but you don't. But we do know this. If we go on, we learn something else, not just why he suffered, but Paul here tells us, of course, the context here is on these revelations that is explained to us in the first part of this chapter, how he was caught up to heaven. He saw things he couldn't talk about. And it was just so illuminating and so refreshing that his old flesh wanted to get in there and share that in a way that he was forbidden to do. That's the way we are sometimes, isn't it? Trials will help us to keep things in perspective. If we'll just let that trial work in our lives, trials will help us to keep things in the rightful place. He says these thorns had some pain. Paul's trial had physical pain. In fact, this word thorn, if you do a study on that, you'll find that it has the meaning of stake. Not that little thorn on a rose bush, but a stake like a surveyor or somebody laying out a property will drive into the ground. He said that his, his pain from this trial was as if somebody was driving a stake in his flesh. This is some serious suffering. This man of God, this servant of God, this missionary is serving God. And yet, because of a a sin that might overtake him, God protects him with this problem. 
God's grace, he says, is sufficient, Paul. He says that for you, and he says it for me as well today. You know, we're not told what the problem Paul had. Some say I, some say this, some say that. It doesn't matter. God doesn't want us to know. It's not in the Bible. We don't need to know because the lesson is trials come to godly people. And they hurt. They're physically sometimes, not just emotional problems and stresses, but physical pain. Some of you here today know something about that from physical elements that that you suffer. You wonder why, why is this happening? And he tells us his grace is sufficient. You know why? Because through the weakness that we experience, we get strength. Now that's beyond what any man could figure out. You know, we cannot figure out how you can get strength out of suffering and weakness. But God says through that, He can get your attention and He can make a correction in your life. And at the end, you'll say, thank you, God. You'll be like Solvenitsyn. Thank you, prison, for the time I spent with you. It gives you the strength to go on, the strength to keep being what you ought to be. The uh, problem is we know that we are weak. But the problem is we also know that God is strong. And no matter how hard you suffer and how hard you're, you're going through a difficult time, God is always stronger. His grace is more powerful than words can say. We have a saying that hindsight is twenty twenty. When we get to heaven, those trials and testings that we suffered and sometimes physically suffered, while we were a child of God that we didn't understand, that we couldn't make sense out of, we'll know one day and we'll look back for we'll have 2020 and we'll say, thank you, God, for the hard times that I had. As I look back, I know that God takes care. But there's another passage I want to take you to before our time runs out. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. As we continue thinking about suffering and enduring the trials that we face. Now we know Paul suffered his because he had a a tendency that he was going to have pride to come up in his life. And God protected him from that by sending of all persons Satan messenger. <laughs> you know, God uses some strange things sometimes to teach his people lessons. But God used it nonetheless. But now we get to Hebrews chapter 12 and we get a little bit larger view of why suffering happens. Notice in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 12. 
Verse 5 says, And we have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto us as unto children. And it is, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son. Now that comes out of Proverbs. If your Bible, if you're familiar with your Bible, uh, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 12, almost verbatim. And he says, you've forgotten this. He's speaking to the Hebrew Christians in this writing here. And he says in verse 7, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had our, uh, of our flesh, uh, which corrected, fathers of our flesh, which have corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For thy, for they verily for a few days, speaking of our fathers here on earth, have chastened us after their own pleasures. But he, that's God, for our profit we, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Think of that. Now, no chastising for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. God tells us we should not despise, we should not fret and and turn our back and and revolt and re- and rebel when trials come. We have a God who has a purpose in this, and we have to trust Him. We may not understand it. Pastor Overton didn't understand having three children living and his wife and a baby to die. And back in the thirties, that's right in the middle of the depression. He had, a, he had a hard time putting that together. But he wrote that beautiful poem as he sat and heard the service for his wife's passing. There's strength. There's strength, real strength, in suffering if you'll let God work it. In times of trials, God sees so close to what's going on. You know, as I look back in the years of my life, when I've gone through trials, and I have gone through trials, and I'm not going to share those with you, they're just no more than your trials. No more severe than your trials, but they were my trials. And when I look at my trials through the years, whether it be financial, whether it be with children, whether it be with health. Sometimes I didn't understand, but I look back, it's 2020, and how thankful I am for those trials that I had to go through. 
I know it's hard for some of you today. Your health is broken. Your life seems to be in a shamble. And I'm talking to Christians now. You're heavy-hearted. But don't give up. God has a purpose. God always uses these trials in, in a way that will help us in our path. He does it for our correction. You know, a godly parent is taught to, you want to spoil the child, you spare the rod. In other words, you should have discipline in the home, and it's rightful, the right kind of discipline. It's proper, and it's mandated by God's Word if you want to have a good family and a successful family. Now, God teaches us that in His Word. Now, don't you think the Heavenly Father that sent us that lesson in His Word, don't you think He would be obedient? He is our Heavenly Father. We are His children. When we get out of line, or whenever there's something that's going to take our testimony or whatever, God may send a trial. He may send a testing. What kind? I don't know. We don't know what Paul's was. But we know it was painful. We know it was suffering. We know it was because of a sin in his life that was about to take control. And God, the Bible says, hates pride. He hates a proud person. Humbleness will get you closer to God. But you know, when, when you go through those trials and testings, you'll feel that presence of God. Even during the trial. I've had times that I know that I wasn't given a very good forecast by the medical doctors. And, and so I had to come with grips with perhaps spending the last day or two alive. And yet I know God was there with me. His arm was about me and the comfort that he gives Money can't buy. That's why the Bible says that these trials are more precious than gold. We don't ask for them. Paul three times asked that God would take it from him, but he didn't ask for that trial. But they come. Even the good people, even the godly people, they come. And I look around today in the condition of our world, I look around today and I see the, the testings, the destruction of the home. I know some of you think I'm a dinosaur, but I think I'm a young person in a way because I look back and I can see something changing in what I call my short lifetime. Where homosexual, whenever I was a young person, was a crime. You went to jail for it. Now you go to jail if you speak against it. Called a hate crime. I, I mean, the, the Bible says the world's going to get worse and worse. Folks, I'm, I'm not painting you a rosy picture, but I'm giving you a great promise from the Word of God. God's with you through that trial. And when this life is going, and by the way, I've studied prophecy many years. I've taught prophecy many years. 
Sunday schools, teachers, in the college, and I've never found in prophecy the prophecy of the United States. The United States is still the great nation of the world, but we've seen it slip, many of us, from what it used to be. And yet the Bible has not, it talks about Russia, it talks about China, it talks about Ethiopia, it talks about countries that, you know, very insignificant. In fact, when it was, talks about Russia, Russia wasn't even in existence yet. It was a prophecy. But God keeps no, God makes no mistakes. And as we look at life and we try to understand all the suffering and the challenges we're faced at, let me go on so that I have time. We have three choices. When trials and testings come, you have three choices. One is, in verse 5 here, and it says, uh, uh, you have forgotten, but on down it says, in verse 5, my son, despise not thou the chastening. It says that because a lot of people do. A lot of times trials will come to your Life and oh, you just just grit your teeth and shake your fist and stomp and fury and all that. That doesn't do a bit of good. But that's the way a lot of people act. They 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 despise that. They reject that trial. The result of that is bitterness. God doesn't want people to be bitter. But I'd like to tell you, you're on the wrong path. So you could just reject it. And another thing at verse 5, it tells us that some would just faint. That means to quit. These trials come. Some people say, that's it. I've had it. And they just pull in and quit. Oh, that's terrible. Quitters never do anything. Don't be a quitter. Don't let that trial beat you because there's a third way to react. And that is for you to endure that trial, to let it work in your heart, to let it train you, to let it make you better instead of bitter. I've met some great Christians Thank God for that. Been a great help. I think of Alexander Sofanitsyn, and I think there's not too many greater than that. He was here in the United States on a, a tour. Some Christians brought him over. They wanted to bring him back. Bob Jones University wanted to have a great national service for him and just and the, our government stopped it. The uh, Catholics in this country did not want him over here. And they worked their ways in Washington and were able to take his visa and he didn't come. Uh, what a shame. 
But God wants to teach us something. Remember, these trials are important to God. He uses them to make us more like Christ. If you remember the teachings of John chapter 15, where it's talking about the vine, it talks about the Father that has to prune the vine to get more fruit. I have a grapevine, and so I twice a year have to prune that thing to get anything out of it, which I don't get much, but that's the way this life is. But God in our life sometimes has to do some pruning. But it's for, the, it's for good. It's for our best. There's some truths that we can remember. Trials are God's appointments. He had appointed that demonic messenger to afflict the Apostle Paul. All trials, all testings that come to our life, look at it this way. They are appointments by God. You see, there's a little prayer that I wrote down one time. It says this, God, you have allowed these things in my life. I don't understand it. But Lord, I know that it could not be here except it passed through your hands. You filtered it before it ever came to me. And so, God, I accept this from you. Amen. That's the end of it. You say, that's kind of fatalistic. That's kind of passive. Well, you may look at it that way, but I think it's kind of smart. God's in control. And God makes no mistakes. So why should I fight against God? Why should I just quit when God's working in my life? The trials always come to strengthen us and to make us better. To give us more power. To make us more holy. To make us more fruitful. And as I look back over the 72 years of my Christian life, the times whenever I had the hard times is when I resisted. The times when it was bad for me is when I quit. But the times when I just let God be God and just say, God, you have your way. God gives no pain without a purpose. God doesn't hurt us as a vindictive, angry God. He might bring pain, but it's always for the purpose of our getting better and being better in everything that He wants us to be. So I just say this, in closing, stop asking why. I've counseled people many years over many subjects and heartaches, and that's what they generally always say. 
Why is this happening to me? Why is God allowing this in my life? Why now? Why my family? Why this? Why that? My challenge to you today is not say why. Say what? Simple word, what? What, God, are you trying to teach me? What, God, are are you leading me to be and helping me to be? What, God, will this bring about in my life? Oh, it makes a difference when you just change that simple question from why to what. I'd like to speak to you personally a moment, and I I can do that. I learned this, and I'm not the only one that does this. In fact, they've been doing this for hundreds of years. But when you're in a crowd like this and you want to speak personally to someone, I can't take time and go around, but God's given us this to do. I'd ask you to bow your heads. Just bow your heads and And close your eyes. If you bow your head, you're not looking around. If you close your eyes, you're not looking around to see this or that. But you're looking in. And I just ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I just wanted you to know, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, That though you don't see, God sees. Though you don't know, God knows. And that trial, that heartache that you've been through or going through or you will go through, that you need to be reminded that God has a purpose. You shouldn't resist it. But let God do His work. This morning, this invitation is given to you 